Doesn't that make you just feel good to hear? It makes me feel good. I grew up with that. Mr. Rogers, the piano going on. I love that. Uh, of course, I'm not Fred Rogers. I need to clarify. Some people didn't know this, but Fred Rogers is the grandpa of Aaron Rogers. And so, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Some of you guys are like, I hate that person. <laughs> Uh, any Seahawks fans in here today? You guys excited? All right. You guys are alive. The last group started out just a little tired. You could tell kind of the, the 2020 gloom of all the goals that they had set had not like actually started happening in their life yet. So, but eventually we got there uh, in the early service. So man, so good to see you. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time, this is a place you can belong before you believe. You don't have to believe what I believe to be a part of this uh, church and begin growing in exploring faith, maybe growing in faith and just uh, in your walk with, with Christ. And um, our goal here is to help every person who walks through the doors uh, take that next step on their spiritual journey in a flourishing life with God. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to explore faith, and we want this to be a safe spot to do that. So we're so glad to have you here. Um, I thought uh, before jumping into the sermon, I just wanted to give uh, one kind of highlight. But on uh, January 26th, so in two, uh, two Sundays... January 26th, we're going to have Vision Sunday, and uh, I'm really excited about that. That's like a family-oriented day, like our church family. So I want to encourage everybody to show up. We want as many people there as possible because we're going to celebrate all the cool things God did this last year in 2019. He did amazing things um, that we didn't even expect. It was an unbelievable year, so we want to celebrate that. The staff uh, here at Whitewater want to celebrate that with you, and we also want to look forward to what God's going to be doing this year. Now, we've made some plans, but we know that God often will change our plans. But we're excited about sermon series. We're excited about uh, just cool uh, community partnerships that are happening. Um, We want to celebrate those, look forward to that. And also, we've been in the middle of this thing uh, called the Built Campaign, where we've been saving uh, funds, uh, basically a down payment for a property, for a a building uh, that God might bring us. And so um, we've been been saving for that. And we've got some exciting updates we want to bring to you guys on the 26th. So so don't miss it. It's going to be really fun and uh, really is get to the heart of our church, and we're going to do some really special things that day. So uh, with that said, uh, let me pray, and we'll jump into the sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you for every soul in this building. Thank you for every person, wherever they've come from, where they, wherever they've been at, Lord, they're here, and I pray that they experience you, that they encounter your love this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. So um, last week we kicked off our series, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, and we looked at a passage that I I just feel like if you're talking about being a neighbor, you have to look at this passage. Um, It's Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 10 on, on being a good neighbor, neighboring. Um, how to bring wholeness and health and healing to our relationships, how to love people well, how to have a compassionate life. And I don't know about you, but I just see a world that struggles with compassion. And I, I think this is true. The greatest sign to the world of a God who loves his neighbors is when a, a world sees God's people love their neighbors. When we love neighbor. When we love people who are different, who we disagree with, who are maybe even offend you, when we love people, no matter who they are, with the love of Christ, it shows the world a picture of a loving God. We're imperfect, 
but there are moments and glimmers and ways with our life that we can live that, sh- that give a picture of God. Amen? So um, last week we, we talked about uh, this, this story, this section of scripture. I want to I jump back into the, that section of scripture. I want to look at some new dimensions to it. Uh, some of the forms of teaching for those who might be interested in this series. Um, we're going to be looking at things exegetically, meaning line by line in portions. We're going to be looking at things from a narrative way of breaking down the Bible, a narrative interpretation. That means looking at the storylines and the threads. And then we're also going to be looking at wisdom, which I think is important because wisdom is what you do with knowledge that matters. You can know something and if you do nothing with it, how valuable is that? Zero, zip, right? So uh, Jesus taught in all these forms and that's kind of what we're going to be doing in this series. Um, Where do we start? We should probably start with the scripture. No, let's do this. We're going to start with my daughter. That's what we're going to start with. We were doing some training on how to control our emotions last week, so I just want to bring us back to that. Some of you guys look a little tired. I want to make sure you guys are with it. We talked about if we're, if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to be able to control our own emotions like Jesus controlled his emotion when, when people would attack him and treat him terrible. He would control himself, and he would control his emotions. When you can control your emotions, you can connect with the emotions of others. We work on this with my kids, my two-year-old and my six-year-old, and everybody else in our family, including myself. So here's one of the ways we do that. We practice looking at people's faces and saying, how are they feeling? What does this say they're, they're feeling? How do we connect with them? So I want you guys to practice this with me. Um, here's my daughter. What emotion would you say that is? She's fairly happy, right? She's smiling. You guys, some of you guys are getting this. False rage. You can... <laughs> false rage. She's not really angry, but that's kind of an angry face. We're trying to train Wes. She's not happy. Why? Confused? Why are you doing this, Dad? I don't understand. Next one. (laughs) Sadness, or it could be a begging like, Dad, please, you know, one of those. That's it. She just found out she's going to get candy for doing this. And Sarah's not as excited about this. All right, re- learning to read people's emotions. Fairly important, yes? All right, so we're going to jump into the story. We're going to read through it, and then we're going to go through some, some dimensions I think are really, really important to being a compassionate neighbor. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus. This is in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This guy stood up to question Jesus and says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit an eternal life? Important question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So Jesus just kind of puts the question back on. Rather than fighting him, people thought this was going to be like a Bible battle, you know, and Jesus just says, well, what do you think? Well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And again, people expecting the Bible battle are like, oh, he just dropped some Deuteronomy. What is, what is Jesus going to drop? Is he going to do some numbers, some Genesis on him? And Jesus says, no, actually, you're right. Do this and you'll live. So there's like no fight. Everyone's like ready for this battle. The man wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus, well, and he certainly couldn't be on Jesus' side because all his friends would, and all of the other religious leaders would be upset at him. So he goes, well, well, who's my neighbor then? And he reveals that he knows what the Bible says about neighbors, but he doesn't know how 
to love his neighbor. It's a religious expert. They know what, but not how. So Jesus responded with a story, not an argument, a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant uh, walked over and looked and saw him there too. A temple assistant's another religious guy. And he saw him broken and bloodied on the side of the road, but he had to get to church. So he passed on by the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm through. I'm running through town. Now, which of these three, now like for a second, Jesus backs out of the story and then he looks at the religious expert and he asks this question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the religious expert replied, the one who showed him mercy. Couldn't even say Samaritan because it's so, such a, an enemy to him. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, now go and do the same. Now go and do that. This is such a powerful story. I think it's echoed through the ages. It's the reason that hospitals like Good Sam are called Good Samaritans. It's because of this story and, and how Jesus is able to help us who are struggling, loving our neighbors or wanting to grow in loving our neighbors, needing to see the world um, through the lens of faith. Jesus teaches us through this. And um, I, I want to give us the kind of the three things we talked about last week as, again, kind of like these hooks to hang our hat on. And I, we're going to talk about different dimensions, but the, the three things we talked about, learning to have a compassionate life is learning to do these three things, control, control yourself, connect, and care. Just three simple things. And Jesus demonstrates these. We talked about how he demonstrates self-control, connecting with people and then actually caring about them with compassion. Um, we see Jesus demonstrate this, and this week I want to dig a little bit more into the story he tells, and I want to look at some other dimensions. So the first thing, if you remember last week, we talked about controlling, controlling yourself instead of controlling others. Instead of trying to focus on all the things around you that you can control, focusing on yourself. So much in our, I think in our world, where people are struggling with compassion, struggling to, to, to condemn people that, they, that think differently, that offend them, rather than, uh, than condemning them, how do we learn to have compassion? How do we learn to have self-control so that we can have compassionate interactions with them? Um, so when I'm talking about control, I'm not talking about like manipulation. I'm not talking about like we need to control other people so that we, I'm talking about controlling yourself so you don't have to feel like you control, you're trying to control the world around you. Any of you guys struggle with wanting to be in control of the things that annoy you, that bug you, that make you afraid? 
Anybody want to control what, what people type on, you know, their computers or their phones? You're like, ah, family members, you ever want to control them? Um, man, that comes out, I mean, I shared last week how that comes out as an older brother sometimes, like, you know, like I want to be responsible and I was responsible for the well-being of my family members and my, especially my kid sister and brother and, and I would sometimes try to control things around me and I had to learn to like let it go. There's this prayer often known as the serenity prayer or the AA prayer, Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was actually written by Reinhold Niebuhr, this, this theologian. It's probably like one of the best things he ever wrote. He wrote books, but this is probably the thing he's remembered for. And it's this prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. Grant me the serenity, like this peace of heart and mind to accept what I can't change, what I can't control and the courage to change the things I can. So much of our time can sometimes be spent, we spend like 80% of our time on the things we have zero control over. The weather whether the Seahawks are going to win or not today. And if you're a Seahawks fan, I mean, it's probably aged you. You've probably been aged 10 years beyond what you should be. And, you know, we want to control these things, you know. And, and how much control does Pete Carroll have on the Seahawks at any given pl- When a play goes in, how much control does he have? The players are in control. Russell Wilson's in control for a little while, and then when he passes the ball, the control changes. You know, like there's, we think we have so much control, and we spend all this time on our, and energy, and all these things we think we can control, and if we could just control it, it'd just be right. And we don't have it. When, when God teaches, and Jesus teaches us, to learn to be a person of self-control. Person without self-control, Proverbs says, is like a city without walls. Just open to being, um, invaded and changed and like it's a city unprotected and our lives are like that what if we started focusing on the things that we have control over what are the things that we have control over well like our attitudes our emotion like we can't control the emotions we feel but we can control what we do with them we can guide those emotions right uh, how about our time? Well, I know so many people are like, I have no control over my time. Life's just flying at me and all this stuff's happening. I have zero control. You have control over your time. Um, so attitude, our words. My daughter, you know, the other day was like, Wes made me say, I, I, I think she said, I hate him. You know, you're not supposed to say that in the Bedlam family. And, and it was a moment of weakness. She, and she was like really sad when she said it, but she's like, but he made me say that. He made you. And I know so many adults are like, that person made me post that on Facebook. I had to respond like that to let him know or let her know, let the world know. It's all forms of control. We, we have control over what we say and what we do. And I know like for me, like fear when things I'm afraid and I, it turns to like, for me, like comes out in frustration because I can't, I'm a man, I can't say I'm afraid. I'm angry. It comes out like that way. Or, you know, anxiety, worry. Those are the things that start to throw me off and like where I lose control. And I don't know about you, how many of you guys feel like you're 100% like, hey, I'm good with self-control? Like, 
I've, I've passed that. I've graduated the self-control. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It never lurches up. Like I'm, a, I'm 37 now, and that is something I'm always having to pay attention to because there's things that life throws at you and my emotional patience and relational patience goes down and all of a sudden where I thought I had control, all of a sudden this thing from my past and six-year-old George is wanting to lurch out and yell at this person and tell that person to drive faster and, you know, it comes out and I, it's something I'm always having to work on. So let me just, 60 seconds. We do this turn and talk for 60 seconds. If you're an introvert and you hate talking to people, it's only 60 seconds. If you're an extrovert and you love talking to people, it's just 60 seconds, okay? <laughs> so here's, here's my question for you. When you feel mad, sad, afraid, how, do you, how have you learned to best control your emotions? Ready, go. the other person share last thought finish your last thought <laughs> I had some friends who are uh, they have kids our age they're like two all the way on up and they were just like staring at the wall like oh, a moment of just just relaxation that was good self-control I appreciate it um Man, it's good to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's hard to control those things. Like even as we grow up, people will look at us and think, oh man, those people are so mature. They're at this age and they're at this stage. And this is something that always, always comes up. How do we control our emotions? Um, I want to, I want to, I got some stuff I, I think is really helpful for marriages, friendships, family, and even people you just meet on the street. Uh, these are things that can be applied, like principles about compassion that can be applied. Um, and I only got so much time with you, so I'm going to try to move at a clip that gets us through. But I also want to make sure that we're spending time on things that matter. So here's, here's one of the first things I want to I give to you. In Luke 10, 34 through 35, in the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, uh, there's something really, really important. And it's about knowing your limitations. Check this out. Verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan, his enemy, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, now listen here, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. It's really interesting. In this story, Jesus uh, leaves us at the end of the story with with this guy who, there's a recognition of limitation. 
often when we're in church or in religious communities, like you can kind of have like, <laughs> well, you can have a spectrum. You can have like zero compassion. It's all like personal responsibility and that person should have known and they need to take care of themselves and it's tough love. And you can have like over the top compassion that becomes an, an enabling and, it, and it, it's so loving, it's so compassionate that it finds the person in this broken heap and it just, it just coddles and keeps them in the broken heap and never empowers them to be who they were designed to be. You can, and, and there's extremes. So this is wisdom, meaning that, that there's not like you, you can just say, here's how you do it with your life perfectly all the time. You have to apply wisdom with different people at different times in different places, okay? And that's the tough but also the beautiful thing about wisdom. In the story, Jesus embeds this. This Samaritan who helped this man who was broken and bloody and picked him up from where he was at, saw him on the road um, and brought him to the inn. He recognized his limitations. One was a capacity limitation, most likely. He, bound, he helped his wounds and he you know, used antiseptics. In, you know, that day and age, he, he bandaged him, used wine, uh, helped him to his ability. But he then left him with somebody who could get him the better care and the more um, in-depth care that he needed. And he said, I'll pay for that. I'll help empower that, but I can't do that. So he knew his own limitations of capacity. The other thing is, in our lives, we're walking down this journey. We think, here at Whitewater, life's a journey, right? And on this path in our lives, we're gonna encounter all kinds of people. And as you're walking on this path, you're gonna find broken and bloodied people on the side of the road. You guys have friends and family who have been beat up and hurt in life just by the, the stuff that, that we go through. There's other people who are walking, they're just walking the wrong way and you've got to kind of try to help them, guide them. You've got some people who are like, no, I walk on the side of the path always. And they're like, they'll be on the side, but they're kind of like creeping around. You've got all kinds of people on the path at all different times. Any, anybody got family like that? Any of you guys like the, we've got these poodles in our fam- my parents' family that always herd the family. So if anybody gets off, they're like, no, 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 get, get, get. And they bite our, they'll bite our ankles and, you know, get us to go back to a group. Anybody like the shepherd of the family? You're like the poodle. You're like, no, everybody must come together. Anybody like, no, I like to walk separate. I like to kind of look and observe. We all walk differently, but we're all called to a walk of compassion. The other limitation that gets that we see in this passage is is this guy has he's on a journey somewhere and he continues on his journey he creates relational boundaries so he doesn't find this person on the side of the road and then make it his life mission to devote his life to this person for the rest of his life and sometimes we can confuse meeting needs with empowerment we need to empower people to be who God has called them to be And we also need to have boundaries in our life so that we can have healthy relationships in other areas of our life. So let me give you some examples and then we'll move to the next section. Boundaries are a tough one. Limits are a tough one. Knowing my limits, my capacity limits, and also knowing how to to be healthy with the limits of my relationships. When uh, I grew up, my, my dad was a pastor. He got his first church in Beaumont, California. And it was a beautifully messy, broken church. First year, there were like three or four suicides that my dad did graveside funerals for. Um, the church had families that were at war with each other. The town, a small town, had all these weird problems in it underneath the surface. 
And my parents loved these people and served these people and were just starting out in ministry and they wanted to be compassionate. And in this ministry, they leaned a little bit too heavy and then this is how they would describe it, a little bit heavier and too heavy on the compassion side. There, our house was an open house all the time and that was good, but it was at the expense of their relationship with us as kids. So I remember there'd be people who would drop by at all times of the day and night and it, we would be reading, a, it would be maybe story time. And they've been doing ministry all day and working with all kinds of people. And we're finally opening the book to do story time. We're finally watching a movie together or getting some mom and dad time. And I remember people would drop in. I remember one time my dad would be studying because he couldn't get away from people. So he'd go study at night at like a cafe because in his office he didn't have a boundary at that time of his life that was strong enough. So people would drop into our house. My mom would be with us and then she'd minister to them. And then we'd be in bed and we'd miss all the time with mom and dad who moved up to Bellingham a few years later and they put firmer boundaries still compassionate but boundaries that still created priorities for me my sister and eventually my brother who was born that's and I don't fault my parents those were those are hard boundaries to draw with family have you guys tried to draw boundaries with family with friends like, I'm sorry, I love you, but I, we can't, I can't talk right now. This is family time. Or this is this time. Like, I, or even time with the Lord. We'll give all our time to other people, but take it from our time with the Lord. It's hard to set boundaries. In my life, I remember, especially when people get toxic, we start enabling them. It's like if this person was sick and broken and we picked them up and we just kept carrying them, we never got them walking again and living life again. It's unhealthy. We're not helping them if we're enabling, if we're not empowering them. That's a tough balance. Remember in my life, um, our friend was at a really toxic point and uh, in relationships there was toxic stuff going on all through their life. Family, marriage, kids, everything. And dear friend, and, and I remember trying to negotiate this and needing, needing to talk at all hours of the day. And all of a sudden I found myself leaning toward the, the struggles that my parents had right? So we all have to learn this. No one can learn this for us. That's why I want to talk about it. You have to learn this. You can even know it and not apply it. And at some point I realized I was empowering toxic behavior by not drawing a line and just saying no. And you, one of the most powerful things we can learn is you have the power of what you say yes and what you say no to. So what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to and where should you be saying no or maybe or wait or boundary where you've just been saying yes 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 and maybe some of you who have been like real tight with your time need to open up and say no I need to have time for more compassion you guys with me all right next thing I gotta be careful with my time all right the next thing is we're in control of what we focus on we are in control of what we focus on. Um, we need to learn to focus with faith rather than fear. How many of you have friends that can focus on what's wrong in a situation? What's wrong in somebody? What's wrong in maybe you? It's really easy for them to see that. How many of you guys have friends that can focus on what's good in a situation? What's good in a person? What's good in you? Now, we need to be realistic. Some people can be like, you know, pie in the sky, never, not really grounded. But 
the Bible teaches us that we are to lean toward faith, not fear. And many people, their lives are driven and motivated more by fear than they'd like to admit. Um, Jesus, when he encounters this guy who's, who's trying to challenge him, treat him like an enemy, this religious expert, Jesus helps refocus him because Jesus knows how to focus on the good, not the negative. Check this out. Um, this, this is a uh, form, I would call it reframing. Um, psychologists would call it ref- learning how to reframe our minds, focus on the good, focus on uh, the, the healthy things because what you focus on is what you follow. You follow what you focus on. So reframing, um, let me give you a few examples and then I'll show you the example of Jesus. I'll try to do this quickly. I think it's really important. That's why I'm saying it. So um, uh, there was a gal who was struggling with uh, OCD. She was really struggling in certain areas of her life, but it manifested particularly with her carpet. She had a whole family that would come in. They'd walk on this brand new carpet of hers and it just, she couldn't handle it because their feet would leave Marks, and she could tell who would walk to, and she would go and correct them, and she just get it would just blow her up when people would walk on the carpet. And she knew that's not what she wanted; she didn't want to be angry about it. But it was this like legitimate OCD, and it was getting so bad; it was getting worse and worse. She went to psychologist after psychologist, counselor to counselor. Finally, she met this one who was a, a counselor who did reframing with people, and he listened to the the issue. He said, "Well, tell me about the issue." She's like, "It's gotten so bad that I I went from like shoes, uh, no shoes, to like." no socks and then they were walking barefoot on the floor and then I was like not during these hours it just got worse and worse and and then finally it was like no one can walk on the carpet she's like some like no one can live in my house and I'm moving people slowly out of my house she's like, I don't want it but I want it how can how can I how can I change and the counselor just said well what do you see when they walk on the carpet she's like all the ridges and the imperfections that they've brought onto my perfect perfect floor I said okay well what if you just started doing this whenever you saw a mark of someone's foot or sock or shoe whenever you see a mark on your carpet the mark of imperfection tell yourself that's a mark of love she's like what do you mean well that that means that you have someone in your house that loves you and that y- you love them. And that's a mark that shows that there's love in your life. Begin looking at those foot marks as marks of love. And, oh, okay, I'll try it. And eventually, over time, the reframe, the refocus changed how she saw her f- people could come into her house again. Her family were loved. And even though it was hard sometimes, there was a reframing, a refocus. Amen? What we focus on is what we follow. What we follow is what we become. Um, another example of reframing is like this old Confucius tale, but it helps us understand it. There was a, um, there was a man who got a horse, a new horse, and it pulled uh, his plow, and he plowed more than he ever plowed before, and his village and his friends said, you are a lucky man, and you have a good horse. The man said, maybe. The next day, his son was working with this horse, and fell off and broke his leg. And the village and his friends said, ah, you are an unlucky man with a bad horse. And the man said, maybe. The next day, the king sent out his servants to conscript young men into his army for war. They were going to war. 
But they couldn't take this man's son because he had a broken leg, so he got to stay home. And the villagers and the friends of this man said, oh, you are a lucky man, and you have a good horse. You know what the man said? Maybe. The point is, how we frame things, how we understand the context of something frames how we see it. When we can look from a positive standpoint, it changes everything. Jesus reframes this man's world. The man asked this question, John, uh, Luke 10, 29. The man wanted to justify his, his, his actions and said, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story that reframed everything for him. After he tells the story about his enemy being this good neighbor, Jesus reframed and asked him, now which of the three would you say was a good neighbor to this man who was attacked and beaten? And he said, the man who showed him mercy. He reframed it in our minds. We control what we focus on. And when we refocus what we focus on, we can help others refocus on the good, put it in context, see with eyes of faith, see with eyes of love rather than fear, hatred. Refocus, reframe your mind. Amen? All right, we'll keep moving. Oh, I should say this, when we can cultivate positive emotions by, by reframing things, we increase the hormones and neurotransmitters in your body. It physically changes you and gives you a sense of safety and well-being, so it brings peace and serenity, like that prayer. Second thing here, or the second major hook to hang our hat on is connect. Connecting before you correct. I talked a little bit about that last week, so I don't need to go into it too much. Only to say is, do you respond to people when you know that they care about you or when they just like to correct you and tell you that they're wrong? Which motivates you to change more? We have to connect with people. We have to learn how to connect with people emotionally. And uh, in this story, um, Jesus teaches this. Uh, the man says and shows this, demonstrates it. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? He doesn't fight him. He connects with him. The man answers, love God with everything you have and love people as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, right. That's it. Do that. And in this, in this moment, he shows this man how to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that? He loves this man, defers to him, doesn't fight him. And just says, yeah, do that. And Jesus is able to appreciate him. In the story that Jesus tells, a Samaritan sees a man broken and bloody who should be his enemy. Most likely this is a Jewish man who's been beat up in the story. And the Samaritan sees beyond the walls and the boundaries of religion and uh, politics and social constructs and sees the image of God, sees something good that he appreciates and can see in himself and empathizes and has compassion and helps him. I love this quote from Fred Rogers. Again, not Aaron Rogers, Fred Rogers. I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what's best in a person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. I love that, he, that Fred recognized, or Mr. Rogers, I should say. He recognizes that God is doing this all the time. When he sees you and me, he sees goodness. He sees something worth saving, something worth loving. And I, I think sometimes in church world, we can, we can kind of like get so 
theological or so entrenched in our tribe. This is who we are and those are the bad people. We can, we can almost reread John 3.16 to say, for God so hated the world that he sent his son. But that's not what it says. For God so loved the world. He saw something that he could appreciate and something that he loved, something good. Um, would you just watch this moment, this, uh, this, this uh, flick for a moment? Now, and I like the way you look, no matter whether you have your hair done or not. It's you, I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you, I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you, not your toys, they're just beside you, but it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember Even when you're feeling blue That it's you I like It's you yourself It's you It's you I like And you know that's true I was watching an interview with, with Mr. Rogers. It was funny because I was doing some study for my sermon and my son uh, ran up and he would, like, I was watching Mr. Rogers and he just like grabbed my arm and started watching it. And he's like, D- Mr. Rogers. I was like, yeah, it's Mr. Rogers. He's like, oh, Mr. Rogers. And I was like, yeah. And then I started writing. And he was like, dad, more Mr. Rogers. He just loves him. One of the interviews uh, he did, and it was interesting hearing Mr. Rogers step out of being Mr. Rogers from the neighborhood and being Mr. Rogers for the world and, and being a, having adult conversation. And he said he, he got a, I think it was a letter from a, a, a grown-up girl. She had she'd grown up watching um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And she sent this letter in that said, hey, I want you to know that your show has kept me alive. She said, uh, when I was a little, little child, I was severely abused. And Fred actually talked about the type of abuse that she had been through. And it was as bad as, you, as, as it can get. And as a little kid, she was in this horrible environment. She'd go to this back room and she would watch his show. And she said, yeah. in a world where I felt like I wasn't worth being loved by anyone, you were the one person, the one adult. She's like telling me through the TV that I love you for who you are. And you are loved. There's something in the heart of God that, that, that has to break through every barrier, every defense, every mechanism we create that resists it. But the heart of God says you are loved. That's why I sent my son. It's why I'm always pursuing a relationship with every person in this building. You are loved. Did you know that? God loves you and all our imperfection and all our problems, 
All the stuff we walked in here, all the stuff we'll walk out with, that God draws a circle around us and says, you are love. He, God appreciates us and loves us as a neighbor. Not some future version of yourself. And that, gets, that moves from connecting to us. God says, I love you. But God demonstrates his love best in the example of Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of the world and the brokenness of the world. And while he loved his enemies and his enemies killed him, he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He loves. We serve a God who loves. Amen. Um, real quick for a moment. Would you look to someone next to you? And just say, I like you the way you are. <laughs> Some of you have family member, and that was really easy to do. You know, some of you, you know, like you're two big grown men with Seahawks shirts are looking at each other. And some of you were like, you sat near the person that you're like super excited to sit next to when you're single and you got to tell them that you're like, you're like this is jackpot. This is the perfect day to be here. You're just like, praise Jesus. This has worked out perfect. And you're just like, you just ruined it and made it super awkward, Pastor. Jesus would always connect with people and, and then he would care for them. He would have compassionate interaction. And I'll just finish with, with, with these thoughts for you. Um, compassion and caring, it, it takes a commitment to work th- uh, through conflict. It's not a commitment to conflict. When you love somebody, it's a commitment to work through conflict. God saw us on the side of the road, broken and bloodied, and picked us up and empowers us to become who we were designed to be. And we, as people are learning to be good neighbors, learn to pick people up on the side of the road. And we do what we can, and we learn to set up our limits. We learn to reframe and refocus for them and us so that they can grow. We, we, we unconditionally love and commit ourselves to, to people, but we also help them become who God has called them to be. And there's a tension, but there's a beautiful tension there. I remember when I first met my wife, um, I just was smiling ear to ear, driving away from our first date. My dad saw me as I was drawn away. He's like, I knew it was a good date. I called her up again. And then I remember our first kiss. I probably shouldn't say that. I remember this first kiss. It was a train stopped and went across. And we were just stuck there and we were in the car. And I just knew it was the moment. <laughs> it was such a good kiss. And now when we hear like trains, we try to kiss. I also remember our first conflict we went through. And I, remember, and I just look back at our marriage and all the things we've gone through. And, and love, caring, compassion takes commitment. We live in an age that we're committed to ourselves. I'm super committed to me. And I remember the words that Sarah said uh, at our wedding. She said, I, Sarah, take you, George, to be my husband, like a committed relationship, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer and for poorer. And she married a church planner who was mainly poorer. Um, in sickness and in health, we've been through sickness and health issues. To love and to cherish until we're separated by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. And my wife is, she's committed to me and I committed to her. And there's something when we can reflect that, and that's in a marriage relationship, and there's friendship relationships, there's other types of relationships, but, the, but there's something about commitment. Uh, 
that's missing in our world and when we can display to the world the love that God has for us in, in Christ and that demonstrated in the love of the cross, the love that held him on the cross because he loved us so much, when we can demonstrate that to the world, I think it changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're so grateful for you. Lord, I just pray for people, with, if there's anybody struggling with controlling their emotions, controlling their, their, their own lives, their words, their actions, would you give them strength today? If anybody's struggling with boundaries, give them strength today. With focus and frame of mind, give them strength today. Connecting, loving people, appreciating, seeing the good, committing to people, not being flaky, being a committed friend, committed husband, committed wife, committed Christian. Lord, I just help them. And Lord, I know in this world there's so many distractions. Social media can be such a distraction for many of us. And help us, to, help us to care more about what you and what our friends and our spouses and the person in front of us think about us more than we care about what 500 people we don't know on Facebook think. Help us to care about what really matters and to live a life of love. In Jesus' name, amen.